Church. Up here, we're launching into a new series I've been talking about for a little bit, Story Time with Jesus. So who loves story time as a kid? Like, it's so easy. You sit there, bedtime stories. Who had their parent read them bedtime stories at all? Any of you have that? Yeah, the, one, the younger ones. Man, I feel bad for your older generation. You didn't have your parents read you stories? So I had the Berenstain Bears. I loved the Berenstain Bears. Had the whole set. Each of these books is colorful, and you've got Mama and Papa Bear and Brother and Sister, and they always teach you a great moral, like No Girls Allowed. Was They were not very inclusive of Sister Bear, and she was very upset about it. Um, so, you know, as kids, we stories communicate. We use them so often to teach lessons, to teach morals. Fables are often used in this way. But what we see when we look at Scripture is that Jesus actually regularly used short stories, or what we call parables, to teach about this life and the life to come. And so I'm excited about this because I've read through these parables before many times, but I've never actually taught through these stories that Jesus told. And I think it's so important for us because it's got to be the foundation of our faith. If we say that we are, as Christians, people who worship Jesus Christ, then the stories that he felt were the most important to communicate, the stories that he told over and over in these parables so that they could be memorized and passed down to future generations, ought to be the types of things that we are learning and making sure that we are grounded on in our own faith. And so that's why we're going to be learning about these from now until Easter. I know that may seem like a long time, but Easter's early this year, if you didn't know that already. It's on March 31st. And there's over 25 of these parables that Jesus tells. So we're going to get to pick and choose. We're not going to get through all of them by any means. But this was his primary way of communicating and teaching people. And so we have plenty of content that we're going to be uncovering in the future weeks. So with all that said, you might be wondering, well, Ryan, what exactly is a parable, though? We use this word primarily in church. For some people, they maybe might only know this word because of the parable of the prodigal son. You know, that's something that rings in people's ears, even if they haven't been to church. But at its basic level, a parable is simply a short story with a spiritual lesson. It has human characters, and it follows a plot, and everything in it has this parallel meaning to something spiritual that is trying to be communicated. It's similar to a fable, but typically fables have made-up characters. They're more fantasy, fairy tale type things. But that's something we're very used to in our culture, using to teach children. Parables have a spiritual lesson, and they always have adult, realistic, or not adult, but human, realistic characters and a, and a realistic plot. So why did Jesus teach with parables? Well, there's a few benefits when you teach through story. The first is the Pharisees were always trying to catch Jesus in his words and catch him on little technicalities. But when you're teaching through story, it's harder to be like, well, you said this, what about this? Um, they're not able to go through that and be like, well, Moses said this or Abraham did that. By communicating through story, he was able to rebuff those things. And instead, he was communicating bigger picture things, the big ideas, the concepts, and able to kind of cut to people's attitudes. Another benefit of story that we all understand is story passes through culture, and it transcends time, and people memorize it or they remember it much, much longer. 
And so by Jesus telling these stories, he knew this is the way that you communicate in a way that's going to get passed down generation to generation. But beyond the practical matters of why I can look at it and say, yeah, parables make a lot of sense. There was a moment where somebody asked Jesus, his disciples said, why do you always teach using parables? And this is what Matthew chapter 13, verse 13 says, this words. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So Jesus knows that by teaching in this story form and using these parables, he's both fulfilling prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah and also Jeremiah talked about how the Messiah was going to come and speak in stories they wouldn't understand. But he's also hiding his teaching from those with corrupt and hardened hearts. In Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees and the religious experts who were often around Jesus. They heard this teaching, but they never really understood the point he was making because in their hard hearts, Jesus' teachings just didn't fit what they believed. Meanwhile, to the sinners and those on the outskirts of society, when they heard these stories, they instantly understood the point. They instantly understood the good news that Jesus was communicating in these stories and that it was for them. And so that's how it fulfilled the prophecy. The religious people who didn't feel like they needed a Messiah didn't even understand his stories when he came. And the lost sheep that the Messiah came for are the ones who clearly understood and who under, and felt the love of God in him coming to them. So, this morning, we are kicking off our series by looking at the parable of the lost sheep. And this parable is found in Luke chapter 15, if you want to turn there right now. Uh, but in your Bibles, Luke chapter 15 actually has three parables of three lost things. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The lost sheep and the lost coin are very, very similar. So we're just bypassing the lost coin parable. And next week, we're going to talk about the lost son it's also better known as the parable of the prodigal son. People have renamed it all sorts of things, the parable of the forgiving father, but we'll get to that next week. Before we get into the actual story Jesus teaches here, though, in this parable, Luke, as he's putting together this gospel message, he sets up the scene a little bit with what's going on before Jesus teaches this message. And it's intuitive to us to know, or it's helpful to us, to know who the audience that Jesus is speaking to because that helps us understand what the message is that he's trying to convey. So in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? So you see, there's two groups of people that are around Jesus. There's those who are far from God. Tax collectors were known as the lowest of the low because they were Jews, but they were working for the Romans, and they were typically taking more than they should have to pack their own pockets. Nobody liked the tax collectors. And then the rest were just lumped as sinners. Prostitutes, just the outcasts of society. But they were enthralled by Jesus and his teaching, and so they were coming out 
Frequently, we read about how they were gathering around him to learn what he had to say. And then there's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who couldn't believe that this so-called rabbi, who's claiming to have knowledge from God, is sitting with such lowlifes. As Jesus was becoming something of a celebrity, I tend to wonder if they were a little bit jealous. If they wanted a little bit of time with Jesus to kind of school him and be with him, and instead, he has no interest in sitting with them. And he's constantly going to the people that they feel like they're so far above that they have no interest in being around. Whatever the situation, it's clear from these verses that the Pharisees just couldn't wrap their minds around why Jesus was spending time with those people. Now let's continue in verse 3. It says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So the first thing we see is Jesus knew that none of the Pharisees would have ever heard this and been like, suppose I'm a shepherd with a hundred sheep and lose one. They would never imagine that they were shepherds. Shepherds also part of that outsider club. They stink. They work for a living. They're well above that. So Jesus knows and even saying, suppose one of you were, they're not in that uh, mental picture whatsoever. And he says, but what if? What if you had a hundred sheep? Which would not be a small flock by any means. It would actually show that he had some level of uh, material wealth. And you go out and you go to count your sheep and you don't fall asleep and you get to 99 and you don't find the hundredth. What would you do? And he knows for many of them, 99 would be good enough. The risk of leaving, in fact, the 99 and going to find the one makes no sense to them. It feels risky. It almost feels reckless. Like, why would you leave these safe ones unprotected to go find the one that you may never find? And if you do, it may not still be alive. But in Jesus' version, he has a different way of telling the story. He continues, verse 4. Uh, or Yeah, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Jesus tells how the shepherd in the story isn't satisfied with almost all of his sheep. He leaves the flock out in the wilderness and he goes searching. He knows that that lost sheep is scared and easy prey. May just be laying down, hoping that no, nothing finds it. So he walks back and forth, up and down the rolling landscape. He's doing what shepherds do in that day. Then when he finds it, he gets to it. And he's so happy it's alive. But it won't come with him. Sheep aren't going to follow you by themselves. It's scared. So he picks it up, and this shepherd puts it on his shoulder, and he goes home. It's this beautiful picture of this shepherd who so tenderly cares about this sheep. And now, you guys remember a few weeks ago, I told you I got sheep so that I had stories for these types of sermons. And I told you that week that I knew my sheep were going to get out, and they did the very first week. And so I go out to my paddock and there are no sheep to be found. So I get out the headlight 
and I go walking. And my terrain is the same. It's up and down, poking around cedars, seeing if they're hidden somewhere. And I got to the absolute furthest corner of my property, and I see these glowing orbs of green. If you guys have had livestock and hit them with a flashlight, you know what I'm talking about. And I just see these eyes glowing back at me, and I was pumped. I was like, yes, I got them. There's five sets. Okay, we can bring them back. All right, come here, sheepy sheep. They're not moving. So to make a long story short, I eventually got them back where they belonged. And I was so happy. I came into Michelle. I'm like, so they were gone. But I got them back. And I finally got them to follow me. And you just bribe them with food. But um, it was, I had this moment where now I read this. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. When you lose an animal, Todd, you ever done that before? No? <laughs> okay. And you get it back. And it's safe. You're like, this is great. You know what? I've got the one home, and it's safe, and it's sound, and now I can rejoice. But where Jesus takes the story is definitely to something completely unexpected. Most farmers have probably never done after getting their livestock returned, is then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. In this picture of the shepherd, we see the incredible value he has for the sheep, so much so that he's like, let's throw a party. Can you guys believe it? I found the sheep that was lost. And he wants everybody to celebrate with him. And so he brings his friends and his neighbors together to celebrate and rejoice that that one sheep that had been lost had been found. And this is more than just a normal day's work. There's nothing extra significant to the shepherd, ultimately, that this sheep, which was as good as dead by being off on its own, has instead been returned to its flock. It's nothing like this happens. And yet Jesus shares then how there's this spiritual meaning, what he's trying to convey, why there's such an elaborate celebration is how he ends it. Something that we don't always understand or don't always see when we get to the end of a parable. Jesus gives us the meaning of this parable in verse 7. He says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is saying this sheep is not a sheep. This sheep is a sinner who's gone far off from the family of God. And this shepherd is no mere shepherd This shepherd is God himself who's going out looking for the sheep. And when that lost soul repents and comes back into the fold and comes back into the family of God and finds relationship with God and the family that God is building, then all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven is so excited about the one who has returned home even more so than about the righteous 99, the so-called righteous who have no need of repentance. And that was kind of tongue-in-cheek. I mean, Jesus understands all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory. We all need to be repenting of our sin. But he's saying, it's not about that in heaven, they're not like, you know, us 99, we are great, we are holy, we are perfect. Can you believe that one, that sinner, that awful tax collector? I wouldn't want to associate with them. No, we're told this picture in heaven is that when that one is returned, 
Everybody is so excited. And you've got to imagine that the Pharisees were hearing this message, and in a way, they were starting to put together the point that Jesus was making here. He's been kind of clear with what's going on in that they might be kind of like the righteous ones and that ultimately the kingdom of heaven is more excited about the lost ones, the sinners who have gathered around Jesus and who are finding relationship with God. That's where the celebration in heaven is happening. And there's real irony then in this parable because God had already told the religious leaders of Israel that they made terrible shepherds over 600 years before Jesus was telling this parable. And it was recorded for us in the prophet Ezekiel. And I'm sure that the Pharisees would have been very familiar with what Ezekiel had written about the priests of the Israelites way back before their captivity in Babylon. So these are the words, the backdrop, of what Ezekiel had written 600 years earlier, that I'm sure the Pharisees were hearing Jesus' story through this lens. Ezekiel 34, 1-5. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel pens. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Jumping to verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks for his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. Do you hear those words of God saying, you know what, your leaders have made terrible shepherds, but I'm the good shepherd. And I'm going to send one who's going to go after all the lost sheep of Israel. I love this passage because it shows how the heart of man is so quick to bend towards evil and selfishness. The priests were all about themselves in the same way the Pharisees were all about themselves and just puffing themselves up. So God knew that he needed to do what the religious leaders never were going to, to heal the sick and bind up the injured and search for the lost. Does that not sound exactly like what Jesus came to do? And so I'm sure that the Pharisees hearing this parable, they hear through the lens of Ezekiel 34 as Jesus is teaching about the shepherd going after the lost sheep. And it proved that they were exactly like those who had gone before them and been judged by God, that they cared nothing for the spiritual state of their own people. Meanwhile, Jesus is again demonstrating how he is the fulfillment of prophecy how he has come and he is that good shepherd who's willing to look for the lost sheep. So like I said from the beginning, these stories weren't just for the people of Jesus' day. Stories are meant to transcend culture, transcend time. 2,000 years later, we should be able to read this story and figure out, well, what the heck does this mean for me? How do I live differently as a result? 
And so the first lesson we get out of this is that Jesus is the good shepherd who is still searching for the one. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is our Savior. And part of how he saves is that he goes out and he finds us and he brings us in. Typically on our own, we're not really looking for God. But if you think about your own story, there's probably that moment where God was looking for you. Where somebody said something, or you read something, or you heard something, and it just drew you to say, God, are you real? Do you care? That's how God works. He's the shepherd who he goes out looking for us when we are dead in our trespasses, is how Ephesians puts it. We're spiritually dead, so we're not looking for him. He goes out looking for us. And he's still doing that every single day. He's going out trying to woo people. He's going into the dark corners of this earth. He's going into the places where Christians would say, oh, I'd never go inside there. I don't want to be seen inside that place. And that's where the presence of God and the Holy Spirit is trying to draw all mankind unto himself. And when he finds us, he doesn't drive us with a stick where to go. He doesn't just give us a list of rules and say, now get this all right so that you can come home with me. But just like that picture of the shepherd who picked up the sheep and put it on his shoulders and carried it home, God does the heavy lifting for us. Jesus, that good shepherd, is also the sacrificial lamb who died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven so that we ultimately can receive the grace of God through faith, and we can go home. One of the things that makes Norma LaRue passing last night extra special is that every single person knows where Norma is today, right? There's no doubt. We all know that she's home. As I was sitting with her kids, the, the grief isn't the same because they know that she's home. God wants every single one of us to have that faith and that confidence, that assurance that we know when we breathe our last, I'm going home because the shepherd's picking me up and he's taking me with him. That's what the good news of the gospel is all about. He's not going to stop scouring all this earth until he has brought home all of his sheep. And then we are invited to be a part of this search. So here's the important implication for all of us who call Jesus our Savior. If he is still out searching for the one, and if we know that all of heaven rejoices every time the one is found and repents, then we need to get in on that. We need to recognize we've been found. We've been the lost sheep. We've been in that situation. And God has found us and brought us home. And now our job is to say, you know what? I want to go out looking too. I want to be a part of this rescue mission. I want to be a part of this search. I know that there are hurting people. I know that there are lost sheep. You know who the lost sheep in your lives are. And we get to have the opportunity to possibly play a part in their story to working with the Holy Spirit, to maybe being a mouthpiece that speaks words of life to that person that allows them to be found, to repent, and to come home where God wants to be in relationship with every single 
person. We want those people to be returned home. We don't want to just say, well, that's God's job. I'm going to live my life. You know, there's some people that are like, it's me and my personal relationship with Jesus. And their faith is very, very small. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to be a light into the dark world. And so we get to join in this mission in bringing home the lost sheep. And if you want to be a part of this, so in this entire series, we're going to be, it's outsider focus. I'm purposely doing that. There are cards right now, right by the offering plate, invite cards. Grab one. Put it in your car. If there's somebody that you want to invite to come next week, next week's going to be a great message for people who have wandered away from God. And I think we all know people who have wandered away from God. Invite them to come back next week because we want to see God move and work in people's lives and restore relationships with people. But here's the final, most important thing we can learn lesson for today. If you're lost, Jesus is looking for you today. This is the most important point in this message. Perhaps some of you in this room right now are lost. And when I say that, you might be thinking, Ryan, what the heck do you mean lost? I know exactly where I am. It can sound like I'm putting you down. Look, this is what it means. All of us are trying to figure out life, right? Every person in the world is trying to figure this world out. And the world is chaotic. It is messy. It is challenging. And for a lot of people, it's entirely hopeless. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we all experience the challenge of this world. But as Christians, we say, praise God, I know that I have a source for hope. I know that I have a source for life. I know that even though I'm a screw-up, I'm forgiven. And it's not because I've done so much good stuff, but because I know the one who forgives but if you're sitting in this room and you're like, man, I feel racked with guilt about how I've done, made a huge mess of my life, or I feel completely hopeless and I don't know how to move forward. I just feel despair and the world is so broken and I don't know how it's ever going to get better. If that's you, then I'd say you fall in this category of loss because you don't understand what a relationship with God can give you. And he's saying, come home, I want to know you. I'm here to pick you up. The fact that maybe you're in this room right now, it's not by mistake. God puts all these pieces together. I've seen it so many times. It's a beautiful thing only God can do. And so God, in the person of Jesus Christ, he died on a cross and he walked away from that tomb three days later and he's now looking for you. And maybe he's found you in this room. And perhaps these words are falling on deaf ears right now. And we understand for some people that happens. But if right now these words are stirring something in your spirit, then that's God doing what only God can do and saying, I have an offer of life. Come home. God wants to do that for you today. That is the heart of the good shepherd for you. So today, it's the first Sunday of 2024. And I know some of you possibly are here because in 2024, you want to connect with God more deeply. You want to have a more meaningful relationship with Him. And we want that for you here at First Baptist. And every one of us in this room hopefully wants a deeper relationship with God at the end of this year than at the beginning of this year. That's what the life of a Christian is supposed to look like. 
But if you don't have a church home right now, I want you to know our church isn't just a place for good, holy people who figured it all out, but we are a place for all people, even the messy ones, even the ones who felt, kind of felt lost and don't know their way around church and don't know what's inside the Bible or even how to find a different book of the Bible. If that's you, we want to be a place where you can come and you can learn about Jesus and what it is he teaches. And we're going to go through these parables. We're going to learn what he says about how to live in this life and a lot about what he says in the life to come. So I hope you'll join us with that in the future weeks. If we've all been lost, we've all been in that situation where we needed Jesus to find us. And praise God that he did, and he's brought us all together in this place today. And it's with that in mind that we now conclude our service by taking communion together. So would the elders please come forward and the band to play? But right now, we're going to remember exactly what it is that Jesus did to find us. You know, as I've already talked about a little bit, when Jesus came into this world, yes, he set an example in how to live, but he also did what absolutely had to be done. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And all of us deserve to die for our sins. That's the way that the world was set up. You can argue about it, but that's how God did it. And Jesus said, you know what? As the Son of God, he had the power to come and die once to cover over all of our sins. That's the good news of the gospel, that that is made available to every single person. And all we have to do is to respond in faith with a recognition that I cannot save myself and I'm only saved through the blood of Jesus Christ by putting my faith in him, by putting my trust in him, and by desiring to actually have a relationship with the living, breathing creator God of this world. That sounds unbelievable to some people, but that's how God is. He wants a relationship with every person in this room. He wants a relationship with every person in this community. And we have the opportunity when we come to the communion table to remind ourselves of exactly what it is God did for you, for me. And what it is that he holds out as an offering for every person in this community that we can offer to them. And so as we take the communion elements today, hold the cup Hold the cracker. If you're not a part of this church, as long as you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us. If you haven't made that commitment to follow Jesus yet, I encourage you, just let it pass by. This is for believers. And we're going to take these elements together. Would you bow your heads with me as I pray?